So, when was your last checkup? Oh no, not you. Although that's important too, but when was your last vehicle checkup? When it comes to service, nobody knows your Chevy better than your local Chevy dealer. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com to schedule an appointment today. Welcome to Apparently, the podcast for absolutely average parents. I'm Ann Johnsos. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Ann and I met at our first radio jobs and have been friends ever since. So we had fun in our 20s as wing women for each other. And in our 30s, we got married. Then we had babies within weeks of each other. Eventually landing the hardest job we've ever had, parenthood. Our kids are 12 and 10, but we'll talk about everything from babyhood to menopause. We want to discuss topics that interest us and you and bring some knowledge to other average parents. We make it look easy. We make it look good. Yeah, we're average, not experts. So we'll talk about the topics with people who know what they're doing. Yeah, we'll get the experts. And I'm sure to embarrass myself along the way. Yeah, after the first season, I'm pretty sure we already have. <laughs> so welcome to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good. So apparently, some parents of college kids need to take a step back and literally butt out of their kids' college experiences. Parents of college kids? Yes, that's right. Helicopter parents, listen up, because this episode is for you. (laughs) And maybe me. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) So I've been getting together with family and friends, you know, because of the holidays and end of the year stuff, and visited a bunch. And a lot of my friends have um, kids that have gone off to college for the first time. Mm -hmm. And then some that are um, at the tail end of that with empty nesters, how their last kid has gone off to college. And in, I always am talking and saying, how's it going? And, you know, what what's it like? And this and that. And there's been this one common thing that's happened um, in amongst all the conversations. And they're talking about the overstepping of college parents on these social, on Facebook pages um, for the college. So I didn't even know this, but there's like, parent communities on Facebook for the individual universities or colleges that your kids are going to. Okay. And on these pages, some absolutely crazy things are talked about. And my friends who were telling these stories to me are like, it's it's insane. Now, they are not helicopter parents. So as I'm listening to them tell stories, I'm quietly going, okay, I might, I might have done that too. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, the horror. I can't believe Diane. Really? They did that? And, and, and then in the back of my mind, I'm like, oh my God, snap. I, I might have done that. <laughs> so this is an intervention. It's a cautionary tale. Okay. Really? I'm like, okay, wow, this is, this is not being received well. And I don't want to look like that person <laughs> right. amongst the parent community. So what are the things that these parents are doing? So things like uh, on the parent uh, sites, uh, my darling daughter's roommate is so horrible. Who can I call? Or the listen to this one. This was a good one that my friend said. The professor scheduled an exam the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and we are out of state. Can I call the professor to get her excused? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> or there was a girl that um, their daughter locked their keys in the car on campus and the campus police didn't help her because she wasn't technically in the dorms. And so then it went on to this tirade of, well, she's not in the dorms because there was no space left for her and she's not on a meal plan and like and starts going off about the school <laughs> oh. on this parent page. 
well, I'm trying to think of some of the other ones that, um, so one, my, my cousin was also another person that I was talking to about this and she was just amazed that, and, and had this big Facebook post on her own page saying that she's amazed at the number of helicopter parents with this generation and said, she's not sure about everyone else, but when she was in college between 84 and 88, they took care of their own schedules, their own lives, met with their own professors, dealt with their own roommate issues, met with advisors to deal with issues, got into trouble, got out of trouble, and never asked our parents to intervene. Because how embarrassing would that have been to ask your parents back then? I have a confession. What? (laughs) When I went off to Yale, um, there, we only had a pay phone downstairs. And we didn't have phones in our our rooms yet. And um, I got, there was a little, a sheet of paper that explained what classes were offered. You know, it was like an actual... I mean, there was a book, but then a supplement paper. And my bio class listed the lab as Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. There was no or. They hadn't put the or. So I thought I had bio lab every day from one till five. <laughs> and I panicked. I was like, I can't take any other classes. I'm going to be in my bio lab every day from one till five. So I went down to the payphone. I called my dad crying because I was like, I there's no way I can do this. This is impossible. <laughs> and with, within moments, my senior freshman counselor came knocking at my door. My dad had called the dean. Oh, my God. And the dean got my freshman counselor who came running out of breath. And he's like, what's going on? And I was like, I can't possibly. And it, it worked out. But my dad called the dean. <laughs> wow. He went to the top. He did. And I was so embarrassed. And then later on, the same biology class, when I wanted to drop it, because it was really hard, and I told my dad I was going to drop it, and he said, okay. And then my mom called and said, no, you're not going to drop it. You know, If you drop it, you're not going back to school. And um, I went to go see the dean, and the dean said, how long have they been divorced? <laughs> Like they're not. <laughs> they're so, just the right hand's not talking to the left hand. Yes. Yeah. But so my, you know, there's I, like every time you hear another story, you're like, this is unbelievable. There, it, no, but it can never be topped. Like, okay. So th- there's another one. So in in preparation for talking about this today, I was I was throwing it out to my friends, and somebody said that their daughter went off to school for the first time in August, and their roommate's family stayed in the dorm with them for three days what and by the third day right when the when the kid was going to go and talk to the ra and be like this is going on and like this is just gotta stop the family left i cannot imagine how awkward that was i i mean those dorm rooms are small so i don't know how a family could like live in there with the other two kids and i'm just like how embarrassing for that kid yeah yeah that's mortifying (laughs) I mean, I missed when I got dropped off. I missed my mom and dad. Like homesick is a real thing and everything. But I sure as hell wouldn't <laughs> be having them live in my dorm with me and my roommate, Carol. Oh, that would have been so awkward. So have you heard any stories about parents intervening well, like like I have? Yes. So um, I, you know, we've talked about this. I taught at Northwestern. Oh, yeah. This is a good one. And um, I, at one point, 
So there's something called the called FERPA, which is the uh, Family Educational Rights and Privacy Act. Uh-huh. And that means that parents have a right to know about grades and performance until the kid is 18. And oh, after, and then it's cut off? After that, they are not They're allowed an adult? to know. Yep. And so I would get parents who would call me and want to talk about... Wait, even if I'm paying for college, like you... Like, yep. Yep. 18. Kid has the right. Parents don't. So parents don't like to hear that. And so I would get calls in my office and... Parents would want to know the grades or contest the grades, and I would say, I can't talk to you about this. This is not allowed. It's uh, it's the law. Right. And then they thought I was just being obstinate. Yeah. And then one time I had a grad student who, and this is journalism, she never made deadline, not once. Broadcast journalism, if you don't make deadline, it's yeah. dead air. Yeah. And after I gave her uh, like a D, um, her father, who was a lawyer, wrote on his legal letterhead, a letter to me saying that he was going to sue. Shut up. For real? For real. And again, it was something I was like, I can't talk to you about this and good luck. But, you know, I know I understand roommate stuff and and, and whatnot, but when like that that similar vein of parents calling about grades and stuff, I had another friend tell me that their friend is a professor at a state university and he actually gets calls from parents wanting the professor to be lenient or make sure the kid attends class. That is not the professor's job. <laughs> I was like, "What?" Yeah, that they're they're eighteen. So I figured, like, as the new year's starting, the kids have been home for winter break. I think this might be a good time to like reflect on the first semester. Is it is it, is it the first semester or trimester? Yep. And maybe you can start fresh. And maybe not be that person anymore. Let's hit the reset button, right? Exactly. Yeah. So to talk about this, we're bringing in Harlan Cohen. He's a New York Times bestselling author of six books, a nationally syndicated advice columnist, and a speaker who has visited more than 400 college campuses. He's helped millions of people go off to college and help parents get comfortable with the uncomfortable, which we're going to talk about in a minute. He has a book called The Naked Roommate. There's one for parents, and then there's one for the college kids. And I think every high school senior needs to probably have this book. Uh, I've been geeking out on all of his YouTube videos and whatnot, so I'm really excited to have him. Thank you for joining us, Harlan. Yeah, I am so excited to be here and uh, and contribute to all this uh, to all this parent conversation. The- I, I was funny, Amy. I, I, I always hear about the going to sue. You know, the the parents are going to sue. And it never works. No, it doesn't. So what are they thinking? Right. It's all they have. They're going <laughs> to sue. The, sue. the sue card never gets people talking. No. no. It, 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 is, it is the opposite, uh, which is interesting. And the way to get them, the way to get people on your side is you is the parent calls and says, I'm, I'm so concerned and I want to relay the, the best information to my child. And I just want to know if you can just help me so I can be able to share the best information so they can talk to you. That seems very reasonable. That's reasonable, right? Yeah, they love it. They love it. Anything about having the kid talk is great. But I'm sorry, Tracy, I I interrupted you. That's okay. So what prompted you to write the book? Was it like a call call to action because you were seeing and hearing all these stories? Um, What how did it come to be? 
Yeah, so there's the student book and the parent book. And I wrote the student book because I went to University of Wisconsin in Madison, and I'm a product of uh, the North Shore, uh, you know, exceptional schools. And, and I was supposed to be all ready for college. I have two older brothers who were successful at Indiana University. And, and I went to the University of Wisconsin in Madison, and it was the worst semester of my life. It was actually, I mean, I was there for two semesters. It was so hard for me. And I never knew that college could be so uncomfortable and it could be so difficult. And I'll date myself that when I was sad and when I was lonely, I had to call from a phone that was attached to a wall. Yep. <laughs> and, and so I had to plan when I was sad. So if I was going to cry, I had to be really strategic about doing it in the right place around hopefully no one. And I had to call at certain times because I had a calling card and it was too expensive. And then I'd really be crying because my dad would not be happy if I called during five-time hours. <laughs> so it was miserable. And I marinated in my misery. I got through it. I ended up transferring, and uh, what I recognized over the years is that what I experienced, the social and emotional challenges, which trickle into all those other areas, are incredibly common. Uh, one of the statistics that shocks parents is, this is according to the American College Health Association, they do an assessment every six months, and of all students, uh, over 53, 53.6% of all college students admitted feeling hopeless over the previous 12 months. Wow. So that is just, to me, shocking and tragic and unbelievable. And that number's increased by 7% over the past five years. So yeah. uh, the, the numbers are rising. So anyway, I was miserable. I transferred. I wanted to help other students to see that this is, this is not them. This is the process. This is what it means to go from one place to another. And no one ever tells us how to work through that. So I wrote that book and then parents started reading the student book and said, hey, we want more. So I wrote a book for them to speak to specific issues that parents deal with during this time of transition. So your motto is get comfortable with the uncomfortable. As, I love it. Yeah, as Tracy mentioned. What do you mean by that? And how can parents, are parents supposed to get comfortable with the uncomfortable? Or are kids supposed to? Are we all supposed to? Uh, I think yes, 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 and yes. And <laughs> I am too. Every day, I'm telling you, I don't know about you two. But, like, I don't think I've ever had a day that's completely comfortable. Good call. I mean, true. it's like, there's whether it's my pants <laughs> or, or it's a conversation with my kids or it's a business situation that pops up or, you know, I've got three kids, I'm married, uh, I run a business. I'm telling you, every single day. And, and what happens is when I fight the uncomfortable and I don't give myself permission to feel it, it becomes all-consuming. And one of the things that high school doesn't teach and middle school doesn't really teach, although middle school is so uncomfortable, it's how can we be great at tolerating the discomfort and how can we work through it in a way that's going to help us to build grit and resiliency, a lot of the buzzwords we hear. And, um, and that's where I live. So uh, life's uncomfortable. Now, every uh, the Eastern teachings, you know, life is difficult. It's it's hard. It's uncomfortable, and uh, it's what you do with it and how you shape that that gives your life meaning. Harlan, right now, I'm tempted to take off my belt. <laughs> Just I've been reminded that it's uncomfortable. <laughs> That's right. Well, 
there's a solution. Yes. Take the belt off, and then you get yes. a bigger belt. Problem solving. Yeah. <laughs> so um, you've heard our anecdotes of stories from our friends and family, which is what like gave me the idea to actually do this episode. But one of the stories that um, you told on uh, one of the videos I was watching was about the Notre Dame RA uh, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I would I would ask you to tell the story only because I feel like through stories and examples, that's how you learn the best. Like instead of yeah. like talking. Big, so when you hear it, you know what's right and wrong when you see it. Right. Like so if you hear a story and you're like, oh, my God, I'll never do that. And then and then you make sure that you never do that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what absolutely. happened at Notre Dame? Yeah, so this is just a, it was a roommate situation where where a roommate was living with someone who she didn't know. There's two women living together. And one of the roommates liked to entertain people in the bed above the other roommate. So uh, the one roommate was sleeping and heard some noises and uh, didn't know what to do. So she later told the RA how she handled it. But basically, she just uh, sat in her bed and tried to be invisible, hoping it would just go away. But that only... That only fueled uh, uh, what was happening upstairs. The, the, the entertaining, the entertaining. <laughs> the, the entertain. You could tell I speak to family audiences. Yes. <laughs> and um, right, so the entertaining continued and became more boisterous. And uh, she she didn't know what to do, so she reached down and she grabbed her cell phone and she called her mom. And she said, you know, Mom, I don't know what to do. There's this entertaining above my head. What do I do? <laughs> and, and the mom said, I'll be right there. So three hours later, the RA gets a knock on her door, and it's the mom. And she said, I happen to be in the neighborhood, which was a lie. <laughs> and she said, my daughter's in this, you know, in this room, and, and we, we, need to, we need to resolve the situation. And I don't know if the entertaining was still going on, because it's quite a lot of entertaining. But the RA went to the room and knocked on the door, and the, they, they rescued that girl. And, and uh, the mom rescued her. And the solution was to put her in a single so she wouldn't have to be exposed to uh, these uncomfortable situations. And um, I think she's going to be living in a single the rest of her life because <laughs> it is hard to avoid the discomfort. But the other, the other way to solve this, you know, and, and this starts much earlier, and this is why, Tracy, I'm, I'm so happy, you know, you're mentioning that you are a, you are a helicopter, an elementary helicopter parent, <laughs> and, and, and Just you know, a so you're a helicopter parent in training. Right. Yes. But here's the thing. All of this starts early. You know, it's, it's, it's being able to uh, tolerate those uncomfortable situations. And, of course, this situation isn't happening uh, at such a young age. But there are other situations where a, a child is uncomfortable with how they're interacting with a friend. Um, and, you know, do we call the parents and let the parents of that friend know? You know, how do we intervene? And, and does our child uh, learn how to advocate and um, use the people and places around them so that when they get to a situation years later, that could be kind of funny and, uh, and interesting because that is an interesting situation that college student was dealing with. If they have this training of how to advocate and to embrace discomfort, they don't have to hate, hide, and attack and call mom and dad to intervene. So, exactly. Harlan, how would you have counseled that young lady in terms of um, what should she have done about the entertaining? What should she have done? She should have quietly left the room. <laughs> she could have or noisily left the room so people would have known. And the answer is that you need to be able to set 
this set up the relationship in the room so that you can talk about uncomfortable situations. And there are actually three rules, rules that don't just uh, apply to roommates, rules that apply to coworkers and really anyone who's in a group situation. And it's one, you have to want to get along because if you don't want to get along, it's never going to work. Two, you have to give the person permission to be a roommate, not a friend, meaning a lot of times we want more out of our relationships than other people are obligated to give. A roommate is just someone you share space with. That's Friendship totally is true. an obligation. Yes. Yeah. And, a, and coworkers don't have to be best friends. And family members uh, also don't have to be besties who confide. Like there's a certain type of obligation that comes with that role. And as a roommate, it's just share space because it's less expensive. So uh, it's a money thing. And the third rule is you have to agree that you can share what makes you uncomfortable. I call it the uncomfortable rule, where you set the stage in the beginning of the relationship and you say, hey, if I say something that makes you uncomfortable, please let me know. Or if I do something, and if you do something, do I have permission to tell you? Because once there's that foundation, it becomes much easier then to walk out of that room and the next day go, whoa, like you really woke me up. There was there was quite a lot going on there. You must be tired. Uh, <laughs> but I want you to know, like, I'm okay with you. You know, you could do whatever you want. You know, but let's figure out a way that I don't have to be in the room while it's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we'll put together a schedule. Let's just figure it out. So there's ways to talk about it. And if that other person doesn't want to talk about it, then you get a third person involved, the RA, or whoever's an official. You know, if you think about it in terms of, like, who has the authority and power, well, this is where law enforcement comes in. Uh, or in a residential situation, you have your RA, and you get other people involved. The, the answer is always, when I'm uncomfortable, instead of hating and hiding and fighting, it's always people, places, and patience. It's who are the people who can help me, where are the places I can find support, and how long will it take for me to get where I want to go. And that's it. Right. Problem solve. Yeah. The long answer to that. But, yes. You know. Well, so you call freshman year the getting comfortable year. So what does that mean? It means that in any change, whether it's going from from fifth grade to junior high or whether it's going from eighth grade to ninth grade or 12th grade to college, if you give yourself permission to feel discomfort, then instead of comparing yourself to everybody else or thinking the pictures and the brochures and the videos and images I see on Snapchat and Instagram um, are the way it's supposed to be, if I give myself that room where discomfort is part of the process, then I can be imperfect and I can be much more patient with myself during this time of change because it's, it's hard. It is a dramatic, big change. Yeah, I remember when I went away uh, to school and someone said, give yourself 30 days. And I was like, I can't, I was very homesick. And someone and you said, were far away from home. Yes. So. I was like two hours away. So I, if it was bad, I could get home. Right. But the, you were a plane ride. Yes. And the 30 days, I thought I would never survive. And I, But I, I, we had actual calendars back then. <laughs> and I remember mm-hmm. marking my calendar and saying, all right, I'm going to stick it out for 30 days. And I never even checked my calendar. After after a certain amount of time, you stop marking the X on the yes, page. Yes. Wow. So, but is is there a standard yeah. rule for you know how long it takes a kid? Because you said you were miserable for the first two semesters, right? It's really for the first semester. The second semester, I decided to transfer. And once I decided to transfer, I had no expectations 
for, for the people around me. It was, it was a really interesting dynamic because when I stopped placing expectations on how people should respond to me and react to me, um, that's when I started to live a life that was much more about what I wanted. Mm -hmm. And, and that really changed how I looked at myself, my environment. Um, it was the first semester. It was just, you know, it was really hard. It was traumatic because everything was new. But then the second semester became a little bit of a different dynamic because I focused on what I wanted. And if I could just take a sec, this this question of what do I want? And, and this is a question. I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old. I have a 5-year-old. And one of the things I've seen 17- and 18-year-olds really struggle with, and it's not just 17-, 18-year-olds. You see a lot of people struggle with this, is answering the question, what do I want? Um, the dynamics are set up for students to have to please everyone else. It's all about being wanted as opposed to focusing what I, on what I want. And that shift is so powerful. It is because, you know, when it comes to grades, when it comes to college admissions, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to romantic relationships, everyone else has the power. It's want me, like me, want me, like me, want me, like me. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I advocate and, and teach and share, and I work with parents K through 12, is how can we help our kids to answer that question, what do I want? And to answer that question means it's going to be uncomfortable and it's going to be hard. But if I can get in the habit of asking that question and when I'm uncomfortable thinking, who are the people who can help me? Where are the places I can find support? How long is it going to take to get where I want to go? Then when it comes to big decisions, when it comes to college, when it comes to careers, when it comes to those things that are really meaningful, instead of looking for permission or waiting for people to tell us whether or not we can have what we want, we identify what we want and we can always align with those people and places so that we can get where we want to go whether it's a college where we can live uh, our passion or even aligning ourselves with mentors and having meaningful relationships. So do you think, with all the stories that we've been talking about, do you think parents are inserting themselves in their college kids' lives because they are paying for school? Like, do you think that that has an, an, an element to it? Because, hey, I'm paying for it. I'm, I'm going to make sure that we're, I'm getting the bang for my buck and I'm going to insert myself. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to justify it. If you're paying, you always feel like you have a right. So, like, that's that's totally one way. But there's even a bigger piece that's happening, uh, and it has a lot to do with, with technology and just how parenting has changed. Um, you know, when we, when we were in school and we went through this, uh, I don't know if you had cell phones, but no. now with, with, cell, with cell phones and social media, uh, there's a very different dynamic. There used to be a natural divide between... Uh, adolescence and adulthood. And that time, that separation where we went through that process was when a parent had to separate and a child had to separate. But now because of technology, there is no separation. There isn't. Uh, my daughter, no, it's, and it's, and it's something that as a parent, we need to be intentional about. Even when it comes to my 12 year old daughter who can text me during the day in middle school, you know, Ooh. she was texting me at first. We, 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 we moved a couple of years ago. And she got her cell phone, and and uh, we got in an argument in the morning, and she took the bus to school, and and I don't argue with my daughter a lot, but 
but it was pretty, she was really upset with me. And I was upset because I don't want to be upset. I don't want to have this happen. So then on the bus, she started texting me how she felt. And I started texting her and we had a back and forth. And soon it was heart emojis and hugs. And it was this whole <laughs> wonderful thing. And I'm like, oh, you know, this is, this is great. And then later in the day, it occurred to me how awful that was. Um, and the part that was awful is I gave her no time to process her feelings. Oh, to just sit you know? and marinate in it and like think about sit it? And think even. Even right, even for eight hours, instead of instead of of her processing, she felt it. She just instantly worked through it, and 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 it was me working through it with her. And yeah, that's great because I feel needed and loved, and I like to be affirmed, and I like when people like me. But in terms of helping her to have the tools to be able to tolerate discomfort and work through difficult situations, I wasn't doing her a favor. And that's where parents really need to be intentional about how we parent and how we allow our kids to practice discomfort so that when they get to this next place, they'll already have cried down the hall as opposed to dealing with big issues across the country. So you have five simple rules for college parents, and uh, they, they make a lot of sense. Can you walk, walk us through them? Yeah. So the, the, the number one rule is get comfortable with the uncomfortable. And I know we've kind of talked that, uh, talked about that a lot, but, but it's really everything. And I think for, for parents, there are so many layers, socially, emotionally, physically, financially, professionally. I mean, there's just so many changes going on. Um, one of the things that I always like to, to say is that um, a lot of parents have close relationships with their kids and their kids are kind of their friends. Mm-hmm. I don't know if, you know, it's, it's a nice thing. Um, but, what happens is when, when a child goes to school, uh, they, they need people who are in their corner. And I always talk about having like five people in your corner who you can lean on. And a lot of parents, uh, they're in their kid's corner. But the, the, the difference is that your kid isn't someone who needs to be in your corner. And this is where it gets real uncomfortable. It's that our kids are our friend and they've been in our corner helping support us in so many ways. But when it gets to this next part of their life, you know what, they're not in your corner and they shouldn't be in your corner because your situations and your discomfort doesn't need to be things that they have to process. So this idea of getting comfortable with the uncomfortable is, is, is a big change. Um, so two is don't panic, think people, places, and patients. And I know I mentioned that as well, but for a parent, it's when your child's feeling discomfort instead of wanting to intervene, really think where are the places on campus or we can apply this to high school or middle school or any place uh, where they are in their life. Uh, places are where someone can sweat, play, pray, live, learn, lead, love, work. And it's, it's a mouthful. I said it a bunch of times, but it's sweat, play, pray, live, learn, sweat, pray, play, live, learn, lead, love, work. Those are places. So it's, it's where are the places where your child can do these things or you can find these answers? Who are the people who can help them along the way? And how long will it take for them to get there? So don't panic. Really have those people in places. And then the third rule is their struggles belong to them, but their victories belong to you. So that's always great, right? You get to celebrate all the victories. Right. But it's also a way to give them permission to be uncomfortable. This idea that if I'm not allowing my child to feel the discomfort, then I'm not really doing them a service. Let them uh, struggle. Fourth rule, absolutely. And knowing that as a good parent, as a parent it is, you know, that, that idea that if they forgot their homework, you know, are you going to bring it every time? How many times can, can you bring it to them? Um, you know, or you deal with those situations. Um, if they miss the bus, 
You know, are they going to be able to walk? You know, do they have to walk to, to get there? You know, what are those things that are going to happen that are going to teach them so that you're not constantly being the one to pick up the pieces? Mm-hmm. And those consequences are important. Um, number four is give everything 24 hours, apply the 24-hour rule. Um, and this is great for everyone, everybody, you know, especially if you're someone who's emotional. And I'm one of these people. I'm super emotional and I get really upset and have big reactions. So what I do is try to just, I don't, send, I don't write emails in my email browser. Okay. I write them in word okay. or like oh, some really? other thing because, because I don't want to send them. Right. Because when I'm really upset and feeling really big feelings, I always put it in a different place and then I look at it the next day and everything's different. That is so smart. It really yeah, so that 24-hour rule is key, but really for your kids, being able to give them 24 hours to process, knowing that if they're uncomfortable, it's okay, uh, encouraging them to find their people and places along the way, and um, helping them to to you know get comfortable with that difficult process of fixing their own problems. And then the fifth rule is asking the question, what do you think you should do? And then not saying what you know they should do. <laughs> That's the hardest part. <laughs> right. You just like, what do you think you should do? Okay, I'm, supposed to, I'm supposed to say that to her, to my daughter. What do you yeah, think you should it, do? It, 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 see, that's and starting early. Like, even we do this with my, with my five-year-old. We go, what do you think you should do? And then we had a situation where my daughter uh, was struggling uh, in one of her subjects. And we said, what do you think you should do? And we said, who do you think you should talk to? And it came up, she needs to talk to her teacher. And she said she didn't want to, and she started crying. She said, I don't want to talk to her. I don't want to. We said, well, you know, she's the one that's going to help you to fix the problem. And uh, after crying and all that, she, she, she talked to the teacher, and she was able to get help. And then two years later, she was dealing with another struggle. And we said, um, how's that going? She said, I already talked to my teacher, and I'm working it out. Look at that. Like, that's awesome. Right. right. But it's those little lessons of how can I – face discomfort and it's it's crazy this idea of whatever we want whatever we want to change whatever's happening in our life that doesn't feel in alignment with who we want to be that discomfort it's always what do we want and then it's easy to hate hide and tack easy but when we think okay i'm going to face the uncomfortable people places patience we can always get through it it's so true but it's so hard and in in the moment i I, I can get emotional too and want to like be mama bear and like swoop in, but it's it. I I have gotten a lot better. I have to say, my daughter. We have a twelve year old as well, and um, uh-huh. she. I have stepped back almost <laughs> to the point of like whiplash because I've over. I'm really correcting what I've done in the past, and all this uh-huh. to say, Harlan is. All the things that you're talking about now, like with your college kid going off to school and coming out of winter break, you can you can change your your attitude and, and perception and how you how you move about. But I have stories of people also who after they're out of college that I had a friend tell me that she's in HR that parents have shown up to job interviews or called to dispute a performance review or write up. Like, so it's not only can, like, so some of these people aren't getting the message like through college, but then they're doing it when their kid is out of college and looking for a job. Yeah. And it's, and so it says two things. If there are kids who are listening with parents, it's stop reaching out to your parents for these, for them to fix things because you know, you're, you're just as responsible. And then for the parents, when they do following those rules are really helpful. 
Uh, then I want to insert one more thing here. I know you're talking about you know, the students who are coming back for break, and sometimes there's parents who, who hear these things, and they're like, oh, I've done such a terrible job, or oh, I wish I did this, or I wish I did that. And, and the thing is, you're, you're amazing. You're incredible. You're the most incredible parents, for sure. And you can always apply this now. And when it comes to your child, if they're coming home over winter break, and I've had a bunch of parents who've reached out to me, they're like, my kid doesn't want to come back. Well, that first semester is really traumatic. It's, all, it's, like, I, it's, it's like being stuck inside a snow globe that you shake. Like it's, it's, it's a social, emotional, physical, financial, and academic whirlwind for many students. And if they're feeling the effects of this, it's like a very normal feeling. But then the, the next question is going to be, okay, so if you want to go somewhere else and you want to uh, be in a different world, different, different school, you know, what does that look like? And what are you going to get that you can't get here? Because a lot of times what we find is the problem sticks to students. I say it's like bad body odor that, uh, you know, wherever you go, it's going to follow you. But if you can understand why and be able to work through that, it's going to make it much easier for you to be much better directed to that next place or to go back to where you already are and just to give it another semester. Have a new attitude. see how that feels. Yeah. New attitude and practice what you're going to do the next year somewhere else. And Harlan, why did you not like Wisconsin and where did you end up going that was a better fit? Madison's great. University of Wisconsin is an incredible school. People thought I was crazy. I mean, that, that place is, is phenomenal. And I could tell you, the problem was me. It was not the school. The place was great. I just didn't know how to navigate change. And in high school, it was all academics. So that social piece, like if I had looked back, and this is where it's so helpful when, when seniors look back, seniors in high school can look back at freshman year, like that was a hard change for me. And I'm not like an alpha male who bonds over games, you know, and is athletic. I'm a slow burn kind of guy who takes a good three to six months to find relationships. And I needed a place where I didn't need to be accepted. I needed a place where I can do things around people who I can get to know and can get to know me that were low risk social situations. So I ended up transferring to Indiana University because my brothers were in a fraternity there and I was a legacy. So I had no choice. They had no choice but to take me. So that was great. And then I started to work at the campus newspaper and it was still hard, but I eventually found my way because I used what I had learned and uh, figured it out. That's good to hear. My, my husband went to Madison, so I was like, hmm. But the place is great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was me. And, and a lot of people, what's really interesting is sometimes students, you know, a lot of students will have no problem. You know, a lot of high school parents are thinking, oh, my kid's not going to have a problem. But here's what, what happens, though. After college, when it comes to that next decision and when it comes to really focusing on what they want, I find a lot of students who have no problems transitioning to college sometimes have really big challenges making that next transition when there isn't as clear of a roadmap. Sure. And, uh, and they have to really focus on what do they want. Thank you so much, Harlan, for kind of spelling it out for us and <laughs> walking us through it. You have definitely um, given me pause, and, and it's not too late for me. Uh, and so I really appreciate it. With you visiting all the colleges, I'm sure you've seen it all and heard it all. So um, Absolutely. Che- check out Harlan's website at harlancohen.com or his Facebook page and his books. You have a, a bunch of books, but The Naked Roommate is one that's kind of germane to what we're talking about today. Absolutely. And if, I, if anyone has questions or I can help anyone in any way, 
uh, please reach out. I, I love continuing these relationships and being a resource. So thanks for having me. It was, it was awesome talking to both of you. Thanks, Harlan. Thanks, Harlan. So apparently we all need to get comfortable with the uncomfortable. Yep. And just, and just it, it might be squishy. <laughs> it might be uncomfortable. And you might get a call from your, your stu- college student saying X, Y, or Z. And just that 24-hour rule might also be a good idea to like sit and step back for a second. And asking what do you think you should do instead of what can I do? That's the first thing I say, though. I, no, me too. Me too. I was. I didn't want to tell Harlan, so. <laughs> <laughs> but because I always say, "What can I do to help?" And that's not our job. Our job is to help them help themselves. I'm getting. I'm really. I'm actually. I, I think I'm doing better with it. But talking with my cousin and telling all these stories and everything, I was like, "Oh my god, I might have. I might have done that once before." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, we'd love to hear tales from your college parent communities or what craziness you've seen or how you've amended your ways. Yeah. Uh, so check us out on Facebook. Uh, you know, make comments, share your stories, Facebook page. Give us a call at 331-704-0046. You can leave a voicemail. We might even play it. <laughs> or you can email us at apparentlypodcast at gmail.com. This is a WGN Plus podcast. I'm Ann Johnstokes. And I'm Tracy Weiner. Thanks for listening to Apparently. We make it look easy. We make it look good.